3: Join the conversation. Call Buck toll free at 844 900 Buck. That's 844 900 2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton.
4: The government needs a good shutdown. That is what the president tweeted out. It's what he's uh, put out there for everybody earlier today buck saxton with america now here with all of you thank you so much for joining let's get right into it shall we so uh you've got the government needs a good shutdown that's what trump is saying here and it's worth asking why state that after they've just decided right when they've decided that they will not in fact push for a government shutdown Uh, right after the decision was made to negotiate in the Democrats with the Democrats. And we are told that after the weekend uh, session where they struck a bipartisan deal, Democrats were celebrating over this, spiking the football in the end zone, so to speak. And Donald Trump did not like that. The president disapproved. And so now we're told the government needs a good Shutdown. Uh, uh, so here, here's what Trump wrote earlier today on Twitter. The reason for the plan negotiated between the Republicans, and the Democrats, is that we need uh, is that we need 60 votes in the Senate, which are not there. We either elect more Republican senators in 2018 or change the rules now to 51 percent. Our country needs a good shutdown in September to fix mess. Those are two different tweets that Trump sent out earlier today. Well, those are all different pathways, different strategies I brought up yesterday that, that if the new pitch from the Republicans is going to be that they demand uh, or, or rather they will claim that they need a supermajority in order to get anything done, uh, that's not what we were sold the first time around. And, and I also don't even believe that if you're going to fight. Let's see you fight now. If you're going to push, if you're going to take risks because you believe in something, there is a greater political good that these Republicans are supposed to be trying to achieve. If that's all true, why isn't it true right now? Uh, When, as we know, they have reached this compromise with Democrats that, was acceptable to I mean, the bill and the spending levels were largely acceptable to President Obama before. You cannot tell me that this is anything other than a win for Democrats who have control of neither the White House, the Senate or the House. They more or less get whatever they want in here within reason. I mean, people would say, oh, Buck, they would want to spend a lot more. Well, they always want to spend more. Uh, in fact, it, it seems the game is the Democrats just offer the American people more spending, and Republicans get to play the role of, well, you know, maybe it's, like, not a good idea to, you know, keep spending all that money, and Democrats are, oh, you just don't want to help poor people, and then, oh, you know, I want to help poor people, but I just, you know, it's it's a lot of money, it's $20 trillion, and we're spending more and more, and, uh, oh, you're just the party of the rich and the greedy, so that's the way this plays out, Uh, but let's get into the other... The other possibilities here, because you have elect more Republican senators in twenty eighteen, or change the rules now to fifty one percent. So either give us more electoral power than the Republicans already have, or change the rules so that you have a simple majority vote for budgetary matters. And now, the first one I think is a non starter. It's not that simple. And if Republicans are going to play the game of we need a super majority to do anything worthwhile, uh, that's a problem. And that's not what they told us the first time around. Changing the rules to 51 percent. That also could come back to haunt Republicans, although at this point, given that the nuclear option for Supreme Court nominees was exercised, the reality of who pushed whom and how it all happened, the reality of that street fight will get lost soon in the uh, Democrat media contraption that rewrites history as soon as it's over in order to support the democrat cause so that won't matter and when the democrats do have and it will the day will come when they have a majority in the house and the senate and maybe even the presidency at the same time uh, trust me they will go nuclear from a legislative perspective in every single way that they can okay so those aren't really the options that i would like to see pursued here but then the president says our country needs a good shutdown Uh, In September, now we are told by the uh, budget director that a shutdown is not, in fact, the goal. Thirty shutdown is not, and I've said this before to you folks. I said it during my confirmation. It's not a goal, okay, and it's not a negotiating tool. But to the extent the president advocated for one today, if you if you wanted to imagine what a good shutdown was, it would be one that fixes this town. A shutdown is one that fixes the That's asking a lot for a shutdown, isn't it? That's setting the bar, I would say, quite high. Uh, and then there's the other aspect of this, which is who benefits from a shutdown politically. And Director Mulvaney of the Office of Management and Budget, very exciting place, I'm sure, uh, had this to say about who really wanted a shutdown this time. They wanted a shutdown. We know that. They were desperate to make this administration look like we couldn't function, like we couldn't govern. That's why I think you're seeing them crowing about their success, is in order to cover up the fact that they actually cut a deal with President Trump, and President Trump did a tremendous job. What are we talking about? More money for defense, more money for border security, more money for school choice, another thing that we got. The president delivered on his promises and got his priorities funded, and that's what the Democrats don't want you to know. They want you to think they won. What they don't want you to know is the American people won here because the president simply outnegotiated them. What did the Democrats not get that they want? I generally think that Director Mulvaney is an impressive and on-the-ball guy. I think that he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, but that whole mini monologue there about how the president did such a great job because Democrats wanted a shutdown well no Democrats would have taken a shutdown if they didn't get what they wanted but they got everything they wanted so they don't care about a shutdown I think that's a more accurate reading of what's just happened here and that the president on the one hand is already coming out and saying well we're going to have a shutdown fight in September seems to indicate that Mulvaney's little uh, moment of revisionism here telling us that everything went exactly as the Republicans should want it to. And the Republicans got everything that they wanted. Uh, I don't buy it. Uh, I, I think that that's way too convenient and a bit too cute uh, for those of us paying attention here to accept. So, okay. he's saying there's going to be a fight coming to the line. I mean, this is what it, what it really comes down to everyone is perception. And who we talk about this, who will get blamed for a shutdown if a shutdown is not on the table, then the Democrats in the minority will always, unless they have a supermajority, or unless we change the rules, uh, unless they change the rules of the Senate, uh, they will always have the ability to stop any budget item that they don't want to go forward. So having the, having the president from your party in the White House and having your party, uh, the Republican Party in the majority in the House and the Senate doesn't really mean all that much. Even even minor issues. and Look at the items that they're putting forward $15 15 billion more for defense. Believe it or not, defense is still something that is bipartisan in terms of wanting to spend money on it. So that's not a hard thing for the Democrats. Sometimes the Democrats will hold defense spending hostage so they can get more big government, big uh, big state spending on whatever their preferred social welfare program is or whatever the case may be. But they're OK generally with defense spending. So that's not some big one. And the amount of money we're talking about at the border is pretty small. We didn't get any money for the wall. So where did we where, where did we benefit? Where did it matter? Where did you feel like, oh, the Republicans are in charge now? So it's all so different. This is the budget that had been in place before a budget that Obama had signed with a with a few little changes. Now, I'm sorry, I, I'm not the one who will sit here and tell you that everything that Trump does is awesome. And this is really more on the Congress and and this, I mean, this is more on the House and the Senate, but I, I don't appreciate the mixed messages here from the White House on this issue. If they want to fight, well, first of all, it sounds like they do, then they need to be prepared for what's coming. They need to lay the groundwork for changing that perception of who will be blamed if there's a, if there's a shutdown, because if you can't, allow the government to shut down because you're afraid that doing so will cause you political harm, guess what? The minority party has a de facto veto over your spending priorities. And the Congress is still in a position, especially with domestic policy, to do a lot more than the president does. So this legislative stuff matters. And the apparent inability... Of the Republicans to stand and fight now in favor of standing and fight and standing and fighting later is something that we are really being asked to take on faith. I know if you turn on, you know, one of the major news networks or, you know, heaven forbid, MSNBC or something that that act like a government shutdown means to borrow from. Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, Dogs and Cats Living Together, Mass Hysteria. It is not true. We have seen shutdowns in the past. I will talk to you about those shutdowns, but we need to also understand that this turns into a political fight, not even a fight over the specific items that the Republicans and the Democrats are pushing for, just Who is causing the problem? It becomes that simple. Who's the reason for the shutdown, Democrats or Republicans? I know that's overly simplistic. It's like, you know, kids in the schoolyard, you know, who pushed who first. But that's really what does matter. Because that perception then turns into polling. That polling turns into votes. Those votes turn into control in the House. And this is how we get Republicans saying, "Well, you know, we can't, you know, I can't do the government shutdown thing. I mean, oh, we'll get blamed for it. Okay. You say you will get blamed for it now. How are you going to change that so that in the fall, as Trump says here, when the government needs a good shutdown to stop the out of control spending and to stop spending money at all on items that Democrats want to spend your money on? They are spending your money on this stuff. When they want to do that, they have prepared and put in place the narrative the story for the american people of what is really going on here and yes the government can shut down it will not stop the earth from spinning on its axis it will not mean the seas rise red with blood and uh, antarctica melts and the polar bears drown and all the scary climate change stuff happens no we would be okay If there was a government shutdown. But if we are completely unwilling, if the Republican Party is unwilling to have the courage of its convictions and do what is necessary and fight this one until they win this one. You do have to ask yourself, what was all this about exactly? Not Hillary. okay, not Hillary yet. But if it just is not Hillary for the entirety of Trump's time in office, I can tell you something. Not Hillary starts to become. Well, I guess maybe it should have been. You wouldn't think that. I wouldn't think that. But enough Americans will that not Hillary will turn into Elizabeth Warren for president. It can't just be that Hillary was terrible and Trump saved us from Hillary forever. It's true now. It's true for a few months. I get that. But they do have to push beyond that narrative, which is very, look, I still, it makes me very happy. I want to talk to you about government shutdowns, though, and how these have worked in the past, what it would mean. And the narrative fight, this is all about, my my friends, this is a, yes, let's be clear, let's be honest, it is a political propaganda battle. And if Republicans don't stand up and start to tell people what's really going on here and force the Democrats into an uncomfortable position in the public eye as to who's causing the shutdown, they will always win. We will be here every single time, and the Republicans are going to have these weak, Lame excuses for us about how they couldn't get it done this time. But, you know, it's a pretty good budget. It, it's still spending like a half a, you know, half a trillion dollars a year more than we take in in taxes. But, you know, it's pretty good. It does give the military more money. Yeah, that's a good thing. But there are other things, too, that we should focus on. And we will, including on a whole bunch of other stories that I want to talk to you about today. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. 2825 is going to be a fiery show, my friends. Stay with me.
2: We knew we needed a big down payment on border security. We knew that with a five-month bill, the wall is really more about next year, and that fight's going to be this summer. But we wanted to get the administration a really good down payment on border security, and that's why this bill has the biggest increase in border security funding in 10 years.
4: They want to have the fight this summer, Ryan says. They want to have a fight. That fight is going to be a replay of the fight that did not just happen now. By the way, those of you listening who are... Trump supporters or maybe not so much. Maybe you're you're uh, uh, Ted Cruz or maybe even a Marco Rubio primary supporter. I just want to know where you are on this. How do you think this was handled? I'm starting to worry that the administration, because of the very the potent and powerful and accurate. I'm not Hillary. Be thankful narrative. We can't even offer up friendly criticism, right? There's there's criticism that's meant to tear someone down. And with the GOP and with conservatives, and quite honestly, I try in general not to do that across the board, but I, I do fail. I do like to make fun of leftists. Uh, but there's criticism that is intended to make better, to improve, to coach, if you will. And there's even just the sharing of opinions as part of that uh, process, too, that all of us, you, me, every single person in this country who cares about the direction of the country has a, a sacred right to partake in that process under the, under the First Amendment and a sacred right, well honestly from the almighty to just think what we think and to share what we think. Um, I don't like the sense that I get from some, that any criticism of the administration right now is disloyal. Uh, I'm not about a loyalty thing. I'm about what's best for the country, as I'm sure you are listening as well, right? We're on the same page there. So what do we think about, what do you think about what's just happened here? We've got Ryan saying there'll be a fight this summer. Um, 844-900-2825 Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. If you want to give me your thoughts on that one, because here's the here's what happens in my mind when they say there'll be a fight this summer. They better be putting on gloves and throwing down by the end of this thing. And and when the fiscal year f- uh, finishes up and it's September and they've had plenty of time, I, I, I do not want to have a, a replay of the Obamacare repealing in place. Oh my gosh! Wait, you mean you you mean that we're actually supposed to have something ready to go? Oh, we were yeah, we've had like seven years, dude. Uh, You're supposed to have something ready to go here.
1: Oh, no, we couldn't do that.
4: Uh, And then we're going to get into the same thing here? I certainly hope not. That would be completely unacceptable. I expect them to make the case. See, what they need to do, and what I think they should have done this time around, uh, is pick an item that they know doesn't matter to a majority of the country, but that the Democrats, for their own internal Political reasons as a party cannot walk away from, will not walk away from, and based upon that, for tell everybody, look, we're we're funding everything except this item that Democrats uh, that is sacred to them. Whether it's Planned Parenthood funding or you 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 pick pick any number of things, Planned Parenthood funding would seem to be one of them. Uh, and make it very clear that no, 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 oh, no, no, we're funding the, the we're funding the national parks, we're funding federal agencies. We're we Republicans will fund everything except that one thing that the Democrats don't want money for, or want money for rather, and we won't give it to them. And and if that means that they're going to hold this thing up and we have a shutdown, I want the American people to be very clear: it is the Democrats on this. Now I know people say, "buck," but the media is on their side, right? That's why there has to be a preemptive not just strike but a preemptive campaign a series of battles a continued and ongoing propaganda fight i don't i think propaganda is an okay term to use for pushing your political narrative i know i know it has a more negative connotation these, day, these days although it started out as a uh, uh, what is it, propaganda del fide it was the propagation of the faith it actually comes from the catholic church believe it or not with catholic church doctrine that's where the term propaganda uh, originated. It wasn't until the 20th century that it became tied up because of mass media and, of course, consumerism and mass marketing with pushing ideas and f- fooling people into believing them by repetition and other tricks and memes. Okay, side note on propaganda. Maybe one day we'll talk about Edward Bernays' book uh, on, uh, on propaganda. Okay, um, I, I'm going to go into a break here. We're going to talk on the other side, though, about, well, your thoughts on this issue— I also want to give you a history of some shutdowns so we can understand what this fight would look like and why is it that Democrats yeah they just won this round and they won the last round too. We need to stop that. So let's get into it. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Freedom
3: Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off.
4: Every line is lit, my friends. Appreciate it. As we take calls, of course, as you know, it means spots are opening up. So if you want to call 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Rack them and stack them. Let's get uh, Patty in Mississippi on WBUV.
1: Hey, Buck. Hey, Patty hey we need to do a little after action report on the last shutdown
4: oh I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go into de- I've got details and everything I'm gonna I'm gonna talk well, about how they decided <laughs> to turn away people from the World War II monument even though that means you're basically roping off an open area and saying you can't go there cause they did the same thing with the well, Vietnam Memorial because they did that just to make people upset because they thought Republicans would get blame right so but I'll right, go into details patty I, I've got the research in front of me
1: Right. Well, and and not only that, because you had the the these ninety-something-year-old World War II guys coming over on honor flights. That's right. And simul- simultaneously, you have uh, the Obama administration basically ordering construction of a stage for an illegal alien rally.
4: My friends over, and- <laughs> my friends over at National Review at the time, back in 2013, when we had the last shutdown, had a brilliant. Brilliant headline for a piece, Vindictive Shutdown Theater, they called it, which just made me think of, like, a bunch of guys sitting there and think, hey, hey, is it Vindictive Shutdown Theater time? Oh, yes, indeed. So, yeah.
1: Well, the thing that, you know, that I've, I've been wanting to say, you can't swing a dead cat in Washington and not hit a GOP lawyer. Are you telling me that not one of them can come up with a cogent argument against what the Democrats and the liberals are doing?
4: Uh, you mean uh, with regard to the shutdown?
1: With regard to all of it. About,
4: <laughs> with regard, is, regard is, to everything, because, Buck. I mean, literally no, all it, of because, the things.
1: We're starting with the shutdown. You know, starting with that, that they can't flip the script because the, basically they have they have acquiesced the The basically the the mastery of language.
4: Patty, you're, you're making you're making me jump ahead a little bit, which is which is fine and great, and it's because obviously you and I are on the same page and, and thinking along the same lines here. I would just say to you that, yeah, okay, we're gearing up for a fight and you've got with Trump, that's supposed to, and it largely does, if not nullify at least offset the Democrats' media advantage. Uh, you've got a real rhetorical puncher out there, somebody who really throws down with Donald Trump. And if anyone can get the nation's attention and convince them that it is the Democrats who are uh, intransigent on budget issues, who won't move, who will not budge on the budget, uh, it's Donald Trump. And so there's got to be a focus from him in order to get that message out there, because the messaging matters. Uh, But, Patty, I I, I hear you in all this. Shields high. Thank you very much for calling in from uh, Mississippi. Uh, Let's get Jeff in North Carolina. WPTI. What's up, Jeff?
2: Hey buck. Well, Patty, she was passionate. I like it.
4: Yeah, she was rock solid um, on the issue. I I totally yeah, agree with her.
2: Absolutely. Um well, you had asked uh you know, what's our feeling about Trump? You know, are there people out there that were originally supporters of other candidates and uh you know, or, or you know, are we going to abandon Trump? No. And I was originally
4: a Ted Cruz Support. No, no, Jeff, I don't, want to, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I, I never said are people going to abandon Trump. I just said I want to know how people feel, including people that are totally in for Trump, were from the beginning, people who were Cruz and then jumped and came over to Trump and the general. And I just want to know how okay. anyone anyone listening to the show, look, if there's a crazy leftist who wants to call in, you guys have heard it, sometimes they do. They're welcome to as well. I want to know what they think. But um, Okay,
2: well, then in that case, I am behind Trump 100%. There's no way I'm getting off the bus and the thing that scares the heck out of me is I I just, you know, like a lot of people, I don't trust Paul Ryan. Uh, he's he's a skunk in a woodpile and I'm afraid that he's going to sabotage the the 2018 elections and he's going to put the jeopardy of the, the control of the house or the senate back in the in the hands of the left and and that scares the heck out of me. Um, because in that case, my God, if that, I mean, the house has got a long way to go. We'd have to lose a lot of seats. Yes, I understand that. But if, my God, if Pelosi ever got c- control of the house, she'd be every every well, other. She, issue she did she a while ago. We gonna... say we,
4: we got Obamacare as a result of it. So, trust well, me that...
2: yeah, But but the, but the new issue would be how she's going to uh, impeach Trump. You know, oh, that, yeah. that would that would be her rock solid. That's what they would be going for. So uh, Paul Ryan, I. I
4: I get it. You you blame, you blame <laughs> Ryan. Go. So, but, 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 but on the budget, on the budget, what do you think of this budget that the Republicans say is is pretty good? I mean, you got uh, Mulvaney, Trump. They're telling us this was a good deal. It was Uh-oh. so confusing because Mulvaney's out there
2: today saying, "Well, look at all the things that we got, and we got money for the wall." Look, see this, and he's showing pictures of a fence, and it's like we don't want a fence; we want a wall. Because when Trump is out of office, if it is not a giant wall, is that border will be opened up just like opening your, your shade on your window. You know, and it'll be right back to where we started. All right. It's got to be a wall. We've got to have a wall. Okay,
4: but Jeff, there's no funding for the wall in this budget, so that's why I, you're but, telling you're telling me you want a wall, but there's no but budget Mulvaney, for the wall.
2: Did you hear what Mulvaney was saying today? He said, yes, we did get, we got hundreds of millions of dollars for the wall and here it is and see look and
4: this is what we're building no no and no, is, no no, no. I, 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 jeff I, I gotta him. slow you down he did not get hundreds of millions of dollars for for the construction of a border wall that there's no way that 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 unless i mean unless that broke in the last couple of hours and i just didn't see it there's no way that happened democrats won't go along for it that's one of the 160 riders or as they call them poison pills that they got knocked out of this thing So there's there's just no there. What they're talking about, uh, Jeff, is funding for border security, more beds for detainees at the border, more uh, funding for Border Patrol overtime, more technology. Okay, that's all well and good. But you're telling me you want a giant you want a a great wall, uh, so to speak, from, you know, one coast to the other, separating the U.S. from Mexico And that there's no money for that in this. So, uh, and there might be in the next one. That's what Trump was saying today. So they don't have the money this time. I got to let you go, Jeff. But thank you for calling in. They do not get money for that today or this go around. Maybe they will on the next one, which is what I'm going to talk to you about. But that means they got to get ready for a shutdown fight, and it can't be enough to say, "Oh, well, we were really going to be tough, but you know, the Democrats we're going to get blamed." No. They they have to change that perception otherwise we just keep going through we're running in circles here. I think everyone's sick of running in circles. All right, Eric in Florida iHeart app. What's up, Eric? What? hello? Yes sir, you're on. Oh, hey. Uh
2: so uh with the budget? The only thing they keep uh bringing up that they got was uh money for the military. And my question was um do you think it possible that they might be uh, preparing for something in North Korea over China that they might not be able to speak on. That
4: um... No, I, I don't think they're preparing for anything in North Korea or China, though I I, I don't know. Uh, but I do think they're preparing for a greater uh, U.S. role in Afghanistan because of the rapid deterioration of security in that country. The Taliban's roughly, as listeners of this show, know, because we do national security here uh, in a way that no other show that I'm aware of does um so because of the control the taliban has of a third of the country because of the expanding role of the islamic state in afghanistan or uh or you know wilayat uh khorasan as they call it um because of all of that there's likely to be more funding for afghanistan also with u.s operations against the islamic state in iraq and syria uh it is likely that there will be greater funding there so it's really for fighting the war on terror as i understand it eric it's not about north korea or china but there could be something in there i don't know i'd have to look at the budget appropriation specifically for defense but my understanding is it's about military salaries and about uh expanding our capability to fight uh in well i'm sure it helps everywhere but if you're going to pick a place where we're going to be spending more money and sending more troops in the near future it's going to be afghanistan syria and iraq Um, But thank you for calling in, Eric. I appreciate it. Tim in Mississippi on WBUV once again. What's up, Tim? Hi, Buck. Thanks for taking the call. Uh,
0: Rarely do you say anything that I don't absolutely 100% agree with. And and I've got a couple points, and and they're a little bit nuanced. The first one, um, you had, uh, you know, we're talking about the government shutdown. Donald Trump was elected uh, not by the Republican base, clearly. Uh, he he was elected by people who are fed up with the swamp with with the establishment okay and and I the resolution did Trump have to sign this or was that was that congressionally just once it's done it was done uh budget CR well
4: I mean Trump ha- Trump has to sign it event yeah
0: well the guy that I voted for and I I've, I've raised money for republican candidates for my entire adult life and I am absolutely no longer a Republican, because the problem is that, that the guy that I voted for, when, when that CR hits his desk, he would have immediately vetoed it, gotten out his red pen, and sent a very nice two-word, seven-letter message back to Congress. But but all the, everybody seems to be talking about this is a fight between Republicans and Democrats. And, and I respectfully suggest that it is not. What's going on now with the budget and with everything else in Congress is still a battle between average Americans and the establishment. There is no way that this CR was written by anybody in the Congress. This CR, just like Obamacare and just like the porculus that, that Obama got through, was written by K Street. And the Republicans and the Democrats are all sucking from the same government teeth. Paul Ryan... He's really not a lot different in terms of what he is trying to do internally, what he really is trying to do. And that is to continue to preserve his personal power and the power of the party. And they don't, it, it seems to me, they don't give a damn what America thinks. And, and everybody talks about who's, who's going to get the blame if there's a shutdown. Given that Trump won on an anti-establishment campaign, I think it's who should get the credit if we get a shutdown because as you say and i know you're gonna go through the history a government shutdown does it the world doesn't stop
4: it does not it does not tim Tim, (laughs) eloquent and well taken points um i'll i will just say that and leave it there for now I, i agree with a lot of what you're saying um i'm gonna run into a break thank you for calling in sir run into a break here everybody we're gonna hit the uh shutdowns of budgets passed right after this stay with me Goose egg. Nothing. We got nothing. That's what Representative Thomas Massey said back in 2013 when there was a showdown over a continuing resolution, showdown over the budget, and Republicans backed off. That that, uh, fight was about Obamacare specifically and trying to defund Obamacare. Um, but the Republicans did not make a compelling enough case to the American people, and it was a consensus opinion, it seemed, at least at the time, afterwards, that Republicans were blamed, although I also think that's always overstated. If you ask most people uh, these days who was blamed for the last shutdown, they'd be like, what was the last government shutdown? Which is really the point. It's not that big a deal. Doesn't mean the end of the world. There's essential and non-essential government personnel. Essential government personnel have to show up. It doesn't mean that you know the FBI stops chasing bad guys. Sorry, kidnapper. Sorry, MS-13 cartel assassin. Like, we were going to arrest you today, but turns out there's a government shutdown. That's not what happens. Um, but we also... Sh- well, let me give you a quick rundown of what has happened, okay? So, since uh 76 that's when 1976 is when they first had the current budget and appropriations process put into place there have been uh 18 of these moments where the government is not technically funded where they have to expand the debt limit and they have to borrow more money to pay our bills by the way and during those 18 you had seven where there were federal employees who were for a short period of time not showing up to work but by the way they're just on furlough they do get back pay and it's like a forced vacation that doesn't sound like the worst thing i've ever heard during the reagan administration there were a few of these during the bush george hw bush administration there was a weekend shutdown oh no uh during the clinton administration there were a couple of shutdowns 95 and uh, 1996 uh the second one lasted 21 days it was over the budget deficit right we're spending too much money so we're trying to and in that one the republicans actually uh well we're making the case but the one that we should really focus on here for a moment is 2013 that's when under the presidency of barack obama republicans were like you know what we're not going to fund obamacare we we control the purse strings we're not going to put forward the dollars we're not going to take money from american people to fund this And Well, I still think it's unconstitutional despite what the Supreme Court says, but to fund this uh, terrible freedom-destroying law that also makes health care much more expensive and much less accessible for a whole lot of middle-class families. Okay, Uh, the problem here is that the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, uh, was the centerpiece of this, and yet Republicans didn't win the public argument. Um, And the story became that all this damage is being done to the economy. And then I mentioned this before, you had what National Review called vindictive shutdown theater, um, where the Republicans were because the Republicans were the cause, so to speak, of the shutdown. Anything bad that happened during the shutdown was therefore to be blamed on Republicans. So the Democrats really or I should say the Obama administration with the executive branch really tried to turn the screws tighter on all this and you saw things like the shutdown of and, and, and i mean the aggressive shutdown of public open spaces in the form of federal parks and monuments because the idea being that well this is crazy but republicans are forcing us to do this right and you had we mentioned before honor flights veterans coming to the world war ii uh memorial in dc and the vietnam memorial in dc and told oh sorry you can't be here it was fenced off this is like a, a an open field that the government owns that's just an open field year round but the government quote shutdown happens and then they build a big fence oh, a fence imagine that a fence can be effective to keep people out of something that's an aside but uh, they build a fence around it and they say sorry and they have some federal employees i guess showing up to enforce the you can't be on federal land rule there are even some cases of people that had leased the land on which their privately owned homes were built, which were on technically federal land, on a federal lease, and they sent federal police officers to kick them off their land because of the, quote, shutdown. So it was intended, it was theater. It was intended to make a point. And unfortunately, in that round in 2013, with Obamacare at stake, but by the way, defunding Obamacare, uh, what would that have meant? What did that mean for insurance companies? It was... Not a fight that Republicans were going to win. They weren't going to win that one. So they, they picked that fight, but they weren't going to win that fight because what happened? They, they were going to collapse. Think of the the pain they could have inflicted on people. The government creates this this, this insanely complicated system of cross subsidies and health care and redistribu- redistribution of wealth. Under the guise of health insurance and then lets the whole thing collapse and a lot of people suffer and Republicans are like, see, it's terrible. Yeah, but the government's done all this and someone's going to pay and they're going to pay at the polls. Uh, So I I don't think that they were likely to come out of that one, the victors. But there's a lesson here. The perception of who caused the shutdown matters. And we have with Donald Trump, somebody who his, his greatest skill is to smash false media narratives. So I'm not saying that starting tomorrow, this needs to be what he hammers on all the time, but they need to get on message, have a clear message, pick the ground on which they're fighting here. And if it's the people, the American people voted for a wall, we're going to go for a wall. Well, then let's put that to the test. Let's put wall funding to the test. If, if that's the centerpiece of the budget fight in the fall, at least then we'll know. And that should be the way they do this. Pick one issue that is critical, that is crucial to the Republican and Trump agenda and fight and put your flag in the ground and stand and don't let anyone push you off your turf. That's what they're going to have to do. Um, and also keep in mind that, you know, these shutdowns have happened in the past. It's not that big a deal. So the media narrative about how oh, it costs us so much money, and that's all overblown nonsense and crap. What does matter is, well, can Republicans actually get an agenda item through? Can they twist the arms of the Democrats instead of the other way around? He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself.
3: Buck Sexton is back.
4: Healthcare is back as well, my friends. Looks like there's going to be, well, they're telling us there's going to be a vote. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we have the president saying that uh, the bill that is the current iteration of the healthcare bill is a good thing, a great thing even.
2: After years
4: of partisan bickering
2: and gridlock, this bill is a clear win for the American people.
4: Clear win for the American people. Uh, And he's telling us that uh, this is going to get done at some point, but he's not going to tell us what the time frame is for health care just yet, even though there are reports that there will be a vote this week.
2: We're either going to have a great plan or I'm not signing it. I don't want to set deadlines. I think it's going to be approved. It could be soon, but it could be not so soon. It's going to happen. But remember this. I've been really focused on this for like seven weeks. That's 17 months.
4: I would think he's been focused on it for longer than that, but that's okay. Um, There are some problems, as you can imagine, already there are some issues that have have come up. You've got at least 21, this is uh, from earlier today, I think, Wall Street Journal. At least 21 House Republicans have now said they oppose the latest version of the Republican plan to overhaul the health care system with an almost equal number publicly undecided on the bill. House GOP leaders can likely lose only 22 GOP votes to pass the bill, because it isn't expected to receive any democratic support. You know, I uh, just as an aside, Republicans broke ranks under the 2013 government shutdown to uh get things the, went with the went along with Democrats on that one. So, uh, you know, you see the Democrats, they march in lockstep, they move as one. Got to give credit where it's due. They understand power and how to wield it, which is why they also just constantly want more of it. Uh, Republicans, it seems right now, can't get out of their own way. I mean, the Republicans in the House and the Senate are not exactly putting on a clinic in parliamentary strategy and the, the means of achieving great legislation. This is, this is not not exciting stuff I'm seeing from the GOP, and we're already being told that there are some... Like I said, the 21 House Republicans have said they oppose the, the latest version of this bill, of this uh, health care plan. Um, Paul Ryan whom i know so i'm actually i'm a well hmm how much blame can we really put on paul ryan for what's happened so far an interesting question one for which i don't really have a i I could offer an answer because you know i'm on radio and so people just say things on radio all the time without ever thinking about it just because they need to say something i need to think about how much of this i blame on ryan's leadership in the house um i do think that he tried to Convinced people before, when the last version of the GOP healthcare bill was out, that, that it was a better bill than it was. And I think that was disingenuous. Uh, but now he's saying that there's progress at least being made. 20- so the purpose of our
2: bill is to get more choices, to lower prices, while preserving the protections for pre-existing conditions. So that is a very important thing. We're ex- we're excited about this policy. Uh, we're making very good progress with our members, and our president has been instrumental in that.
4: Okay, they're making progress. What's the stumbling block, then, would be fair to ask? I think it's important. Well, so far, from what we were told, it's that there may be a lack of inclusion – of pre-existing protection coverage in this and the main person is being associated with this objection so far is representative fred upton of michigan who uh, chaired the house energy and commerce committee as the affordable care act repeal movement built steam but he said at a on a uh, some other radio show. Good heavens, there are other radio shows. I cannot support the bill with this provision in it, just as House Speaker Ryan was insisting the legislation would protect the sick. So pre-existing condition coverage seems to be one of the stumbling blocks uh, where this is right now. It, it was once again, I, I do think that it's important to see what you en- see what the opposition. I don't like the term enemy, but see what the enemy is doing, politically speaking. With Democrats, uh, when they had the House and the Senate under Obama, and they wanted to get Obamacare through, what did they do? Do they sit around and 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 bicker with each other, and ah, I want this, and you want that? No, they were. This is a huge agenda for the president. This is the Democratic Party. We've been waiting a hundred years to have a slow roll but continuous government takeover of health care. So we all go forward on this one. Don't worry about the details. It's going to have a big Democrat D on this bill. It's going to have Barack Obama's name attached to it. We're just going to go forward with it and do it. How do they sell that to the American people? Well, you will recall. Sure, there was a lot of talk about, you know, we need to cover people and we need to cover this. But in terms of what were were the two talking points you heard the most? Uh, It was, of course, pre-existing conditions and. And staying in your parents' coverage until you're 26. Now, pre existing conditions, the problem with that is that even Republicans agree that the previous system was not fair and unworkable. Or, you know, fair isn't even the right word. It wasn't moral. It's not right that someone is uh, in, in a developed country with the resources that we have that spends, that has the government appropriating, i.e., taking money out of your pockets for all kinds of purposes there should be a means of providing health care to those who through no fault of their own have a medical issue that would otherwise price them out of the market. Now there are of course, analyses of healthcare care that would show that if we didn't have all these different mandates and, and directives and orders and intrusions from the government into the free market on health care into a freer market on health care, then we would actually, uh, be able to cover people without without even worrying about pre existing conditions because it would be health insurance, not subsidized health care. We have subsidized health care, as I keep repeating to you and I I don't want to I don't want to beat a dead horse with this one, but we, we don't have health insurance really. We have we have health uh, subsidized health care. Meaning that people want to see doctors for a whole bunch of different reasons and it becomes very political as to which reasons make the list of what an insurance company has to Pay some portion or all for, which means that those those costs are then passed on to other people that may not want or need those services and may not want to have been included in a pool that could be responsible for paying for those services. See, that's how the whole game is played. But preexisting conditions is a an emotion a, a compelling emotional argument, and I think you can argue a moral one as well for why the government needed to take action, that Republicans allowed Democrats to seize the high ground on that one, well, then everything else that followed. People don't even know what Obamacare, they don't even understand how the exchange, and I mean Democrats who will talk to you about how much they love Obamacare, they don't know how the exchanges work, they don't understand the subsidies, I mean, you know, like, nobody's read the whole bill, but even the parts of it that matter to all of us, they don't know what's in it, they don't really care, all they know is, well, pre-existing conditions, and also it's really important for, you know, my parents, you know, they're I can be on their insurance till I'm twenty-six. But pre-existing conditions is compelling. That's now what some members of uh, the GOP House are having a problem with, because I think they realize they could be of all the things that you could lose from Obamacare, you're going to lose the one that is the most universally popular of all the things that you may allow this new Trump administration working in concert with the Republican Congress to do on health care. You're going to not keep the one you're going to keep other parts of obamacare but you're not going to keep you know you're going to keep the the exchanges in place you're going to keep the subsidy systems in some form or other in place but you're you're going to get rid of uh, pre existing condition coverage that's that doesn't seem to be very smart at all uh, it seems like we have not learned some of the lessons uh, the republicans have not learned some of the lessons that they should have in the past so that is disconcerting to me you've got uh, majority whip steve scalise However, saying that it does protect people with pre-existing conditions.
3: Our bill protects people with pre-existing conditions, and it actually provides multiple layers of protection for people with pre-existing conditions in ways that Obamacare doesn't do. But let's look at Obamacare. Because there's this assumption that Obamacare actually does protect people with pre-existing
4: conditions so I asked my own constituents and I got a number of stories from people with pre-existing conditions who are being hurt by Obamacare Chris from L wrote to me I have a pre-existing condition ACA insurance is outrageously priced with huge deductibles it has been cheaper for me to pay out-of-pocket for two surgeries all other medical expenses and the ACA penalty rather than to purchase insurance and still have to cover a large deductible and copay. See, Obamacare insurance is bad. That's what the focus should always be on. And it is to Republicans' detriment that at this point they have not made the case loudly enough and publicly enough and continuously enough that for working people, Americans, You know, who are uh, trying to earn, trying to pay the bills, make a, you know, earn a living and go about their day. If you fall into that bracket that does not get subsidies for your Obamacare coverage and has to pay for Obamacare coverage, you are getting a very bad deal. Maybe if you had some catastrophic illness that might not otherwise have been covered for some reason, Obamacare to you or to, you know, to to the hypothetical person we're talking about, seems like it's not that bad. But keep in mind that if you didn't have Obamacare, you could have a system in place that covers you much in a much better fashion for exactly that, for a catastrophic healthcare event. I saw before I came in on Twitter today, I can't remember who the exchange was between, but and and then somebody asked the question, well, you know, you're gonna you're just gonna pay for health care? That's crazy. You know, what is a what is a heart surgery cost? And the answer is nobody knows, really, what it costs. Because the system is so full of uh, government, well, already government mandates and regulations, and cost sharing, and subsidy, and all of the stuff that goes on, um, and and this notion that because you have, so so you can't even talk about what what would it cost? Is it feasible? And and what level of healthcare would be easily accessible to Americans if we weren't constant? If we weren't constantly constrained? By the government making so many decisions as it is about healthcare, would we be better off instead of providing crappy Obamacare insurance to people, just giving people money that they could only use for healthcare expenditures, and get and just say that's it, you know, and and uh, above a certain amount for medically necessary stuff, will cover you on an insured basis, but other than you know other than that, here's here's some money, go spend it on healthcare. That seems like a radical idea these days, but why is it so radical? I'd so much rather go into a doctor's office and know what things cost and have things be more affordable and be a payer who is making decisions about where the money goes than currently. You know, you go see somebody that's, you know, let's say you have out of network benefits and you go see a doctor. And it costs you, with all the tests and everything, $800, and your, insur- and, and your insurance company is supposed to cover it. They send you some nonsense about how, well, no, we're only going to... That only counts to your deductible for $70. Well, it's like, well, I paid $800. Why is it only $70? Oh, because we say so. I mean, the games they play are just insane. I don't want any more games. I want this to be a system where the costs are transparent, it's open, and we all see. Then we can make much better decisions. But because of the opaque nature of all of this... And because of the emotional appeal the Democrats make and because health care is talked about by people like Bernie Sanders, who understand emotional appeal, but not economics, because people see what goes on in some European countries where they believe that there's just free health insurance being given out to everybody. And it's great, even though that's not the case. And there's been even in some of the uh, Nordic countries, for example, which people like Bernie Sanders and his supporters always point to and say, oh, we're going to live in some horrible dystopia like Sweden. Well. Sweden has a much lower corporate tax rate than we do and has been privatizing a lot. (laughs) So, uh, in fact, Sweden economically is ahead of the U.S. on many measures of economic freedom. No one ever talks about that. That's like, you know, Bernie Sanders. We're going to make everybody's health care so great. Well, the National Health Service in the U.K. is uh, not something that I think the U.S. wants to emulate for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, But so we'll see. We don't have a bill yet. We don't have a vote yet. We don't know where we're going to go on this one. But how many swings at the plate do the Republicans get before we start to say, and I, I know it's the easy thing, and I'm sure right now if, you know, I listen to uh, other commentators, whether on TV or radio, they will oh, it's all, you know, everyone likes to beat up on Paul Ryan. Okay, well, who's who's coming forward with the better ideas on the Republican side? Isn't it, isn't it in some way their obligation, their duty to do more than just say Paul Ryan's a, a sellout, centrist technocrat wannabe who's really a beltway insider pretending to be a conservative or something i mean I, you know i can play that game too but it doesn't get us very far and yeah, talk about how the re- republicans are being so weak on health care okay sure we can talk about that but i'd rather get into what the solution is and i'm not sure that uh this new republican version of the last republican version of health care is gonna get it done but we shall see my friends trump has problems with some in the media as you know doesn't like some in the media and it was an, a central part of his campaign and continues to be one of the places where i know a lot of us uh, derive the most the most uh joy from this presidency is seeing how he uh just puts some of these incredibly pompous oh hello yes and, or you know they have a the, I don't know why all of a sudden my journalists turned British, but there, you'll notice even in this, there are a lot of a lot of journalists in this country with British accents. Kind of interesting side note, but some of them are cool. But I'm just saying, a lot of that going on. Uh, <laughs> you'll notice there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of American journalists running around in 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 Europe as like major TV personalities. But here it's like, hey, if you have a British accent, you'll just you're so much smarter. I I do think it's a an interesting. Americans love a British accent. I don't know what to say. Uh, I'm, I'm not hating on it. I'm just, I'm just pointing it out. I'm just saying. I'm just asking questions. Um, anyway, uh, there's more of like the, you know, the Brian Williams. I mean, these people that are oh, I'm the, I'm a serious journalist. I, I take my craft as deadly serious, and I just want everyone to think that I'm really important and smart. Trump cuts some of those people down to size, and that's. There is a joy that those of us who feel like we're constantly being like, including those of us in media like me, uh, that are lectured and talked down to by uh, the uh, elite rung of journalists. We see what Trump says and we like it. And I understand it because I feel the same way. Trump says he's not against. Well, he's not against all in the media. He just doesn't like the fake media. I assume when you say fake news you, f- you feel they don't cover you fairly that's yeah, what you and mean I'm by fake news?
2: Not all of the media, you know, I'll tell you just that is unfair the way they cover me because they say the media, I'm against the media. I'm not against the media, I'm against the fake media. If you look at CNN the way they cover me, no matter what you do, it's negative, hits, hits. So I love the media. I think the media is great. And if I do something bad, treat me badly. But they don't tell it like it is. Uh,
4: So funny today. There was a a Hillary Clinton uh, piece that I saw in a whole bunch of places about how she said that this this, this, we're pulling together a Hillary Clinton thread here with a Trump thread. Um, But on his notion on his point that CNN covers him differently and on his notion that he's not treated um, fairly by some of the media, I think it's quite true. And with Hillary Clinton today. She went on some, well, here, let me let me tell you what she did, and then we'll get back to the fake news thing. Here's what Hillary said about why she lost. I, oh, we don't have it. My bad. Well, she said, I was on the way to winning. You know, come on, Buck, get it together. Uh, I was on the way to winning until a combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. Um, you know, so uh, I, I would have been your president. And then she went on to say later on that she's, you know, yeah, but she takes responsibility. But she really doesn't take responsibility. It was fascinating when you say that there are all these other reasons that aren't me why I lost. But yeah, totes, I take responsibility. That's not taking responsibility. But uh, CNN wrote it about it. Hillary says Comey, WikiLeaks, and herself responsible. Everybody else was like, no, no. She's really saying other people are responsible. She's saying that, uh, you know, she's she's this this claim, this pro forma claim that somehow she had a. Uh, it, it was on her that she lost. It, it just doesn't doesn't cut it. But for CNN and, and their big headline, uh, it's, do we have it? or Yeah, yeah all right, go ahead, play it.
2: But I was on the way to winning. I was on the way until to winning. A combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. We overcame a lot in the campaign. We overcame an enormous... Uh, a barrage of negativity of false equivalency and so much else um but as nate silver who uh, very reliable you know has concluded you know if the election had been on october 27th
4: yeah, I I that's enough enough i would have won i would have won but yeah it was it was it was she's claiming responsibility for it just look and see the way that that soundbite and, and her talk was covered by different news outlets and you'll see who's in the tank for hillary it's a litmus test
3: Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks
4: it off. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are joined by Republican Congressman Randy Weber of Texas. He is a Freedom Caucus member. Congressman, thank you so much for giving us some time.
5: Thank you, Buck. I appreciate it.
4: So you just stepped off the floor. What is going on down in Capitol Hill with health care?
5: Well, they're still counting votes. Uh, They're still negotiating. It's a good thing. Uh, We're still taking, actually, input from my constituents. You know, we have have people sending us emails, sending us letters, calling every day. And, of course, we're taking a stock of of our constituent input. So uh, it's ongoing. I don't know that we'll have a vote this week, but uh, it's still ongoing, and that's a good thing
4: now the freedom caucus the last time around was what was i think pretty openly against it was obviously against what happened or what was put forward as the health care replacement bill uh, or the the newest health care bill from the republicans what is different now why are members of the freedom caucus like yourself in favor of the latest health care bill
5: well uh what it does, Buck, is it gives more power to the states. It's a, I'd actually like to see it give all the majority of the power, if not all the power, back to the states on essential health benefits. In other words, it used to be that they had to beg, come crawling to the White House or to, to the agency, HHS, for, uh, for uh, exemptions for different things, for waivers. Uh, They've got it now where the waivers are theoretically almost automatic. You know, I would have said, look, we'll just make them automatic. Let the states decide on essential health benefits. Let them decide what uh, their legislatures decide in that particular state, what kind of uh, premium or what kind of plans insurance companies ought to offer. Give the power close to the people back to, you know, closest to the people, the state legislatures. It doesn't quite just block you know, pardon the pun block granted back to the people, which is what we ought to do with Medicaid and everything else. But it does say that the waivers are pretty much automatically guaranteed.
4: So for example, in your home state of Texas, if if Texas decides they don't want to be subject to the Obamacare health care requirements, they can say, No, no, we're gonna do this our way and then they can determine what is an acceptable level of coverage for policies sold inside the state? Is that how it breaks down?
5: That, that's pretty accurate. You know, they get to decide what essential health benefits are. I don't know how familiar. I've learned a lot about health care in the last three or four weeks. Uh, I've always been, you know, uh, basically a Republican, conservative, libertarian at heart. I wanted that people to have the power. And when Obamacare had the individual mandate and employer mandate, of course, that was a usurpation of people's liberty and the power reserved for the states and the people respectively, quote-unquote. And so uh, the states now can come in there and say, we get to decide, and they get to see their elected officials, people do in their communities. And so uh, absolutely it's taken away those mandates and what I would argue was far overreached by the Obama, well, by the health care law.
4: Coxman, I have to ask you, what do you think about the uh, the budget that is looking like it's going to get passed after the compromise over the weekend? It uh, doesn't include any funding for the wall. President Trump today saying maybe a shutdown in the future is the only way to get that funding. Uh, what's your take?
5: Well, just had a talk with Kathy McMorris-Rogers, um, and she says that the particular bill doesn't fund Planned Parenthood. That's a, a misnomer out there. Uh, some think that it does, uh, and there are certain grants, I think, if I understand it correctly, that that, that people can apply, that agencies can apply for. And so I haven't looked at that specific language. Um, it's, I mean, it's. Wait, you're a saying lot- it
4: doesn't fund? Pardon me, Congressman. You're saying it that's, does not fund Planned Parenthood?
5: That's what Kathy Morse Rogers and I were just talking about. And so we don't want Planned Parenthood funded. Uh, I think there's a portion in there that my staff is pouring through it right now that does put a "quote unquote" down payment on the wall. They're calling it. Uh, I realize the president has said, you know, we might push it back to September and make that a future priority, and I guess you would say in the not too distant future. Um, and so we're pouring through the bill. It does it does spend a lot of money. The fact that uh, the Democrats are are happy with the bill should be give us all pause, you know. And so uh, I, 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 we're going to pour through it and see more of it and dissect it and see. I just I don't I don't like the idea that we're spending more money, Buck. Yes, it does plus up our national defense, so that's a good thing. Yes, it does increase the pay for our military, very good thing. So we're trying to weigh all the goods and bads and see exactly what's in the bill. But
4: that's a very big uh, admission, or that would be a big change from what the perception is right now, that Planned Parenthood is not funded by this. I'd have to look at this. I'd want to see what the language is because there are a lot of ways that it seems Planned Parenthood gets money and does things with it that... People don't think you're going to, it's not going to happen that way, but it does happen that way. And then also on uh, immigration uh, and the border wall, uh, I want to see what a down payment is because the way it's being reported, and of course I'm not on Capitol Hill, I'm not part of these negotiations, but the way it's being reported, Congressman, is that the Democrats managed to get in there that there will in fact be no funding for a border wall. There is
5: a section, I forget what they called it, uh, that I think actually put some more it's not it's not a border wall but it pluses up dhs if i if now i'm going from memory here buck all this week uh and so it gives them some extra money to put into uh uh, technology on the ground so to speak uh it's 1.5 billion dollars as i require it uh so as i I remember it so it's going to increase border security spending 1.5 billion with a b so that's not a small amount. If they can put that in technology, if they can put that in better control on the ground, you know, 1.5 billion is
4: I, all right, Congressman. Fair enough, but that's still that's still not paying for one brick or one fence right. chain link, and uh, you know that's uh, so that's not really a wall or a barrier. But that's all. That's all right. Uh, well, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. You're you're laying the groundwork for a wall, but not actually laying groundwork for a wall. Uh, well, but pleasantly. I want to ask you one more, Congressman, because I know your time is valuable. And we're going to let you get back to the business of representing the people down there in D.C. Uh, the, this this budget why why not force a shutdown over some of the issues that the Democrats were intransigent over? Why not go for it now? Why are we being told that the fall would be a better time?
5: Well, that's I don't know. That's something the president said. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it, you know, in the media that he said that maybe there's one coming. I don't know. Uh, forcing their hand now while we're trying to get health care reform done, while we're trying to get tax reform done. You know, I'd have to talk, the leadership's looking at this. Is it a good time to do that now? You know, those are things that they have to balance and say, that's not good strategy. If we lose health care reform, if we lose tax reform, that would not be a good thing. So I think they must be making that. The only thing I can figure is that's the calculation they're making.
4: Congressman Randy Weber of Texas, he's a Freedom Caucus member. Congressman, really appreciate you joining. Thank you, sir.
5: You bet. Thank you, Buck.
4: And uh, team, we are going to hit a break. We'll be right back. couple of quick follow-ups, team, to that uh, interview with the congressman there. I want to make sure I get all the facts right, always on the show. A couple of things. Planned Parenthood is funded uh, in this budget deal, um, but I think what the congressman was referring to is that you've got House Speaker Paul Ryan saying that while Planned Parenthood is funded in this spending bill, when they repeal Obamacare, they can strip funding from Planned Parenthood in that Because that's a simple 51 51 vote majority needed in the Senate. Okay, maybe. We'll see. Because I can promise you this, when Planned Parenthood is defunded, if it is in fact defunded, if it does not get its $500 million from the federal government, they will scream and kick and lose their minds. The defenders of Planned Parenthood, the, the organization itself, the defenders of it, the Democratic Party will have a, a a meltdown. I mean, they will have an episode. It will be, you will not, this will not be on, that's why I know, I was like, Congress, come on, we, we would know. This will not be something that slips under the radar. And for a lot of members of Congress who talk about being pro-life, I have to say, if they really believe the pro-life position, this should be an urgent priority and not just something that we'd like to do at some point, maybe in the future, because, you know, our constituents kind of want us to. If they believe that this is about protecting unborn, innocent human life, which is what pro-life people it's believe isn't even the right word. No. If that is, in fact, agreed uh, on by the Republicans who say they're pro-life, if they really are, in fact... Uh, of the mind that, that is what being pro-life means it sh- there should be an urgency to this and i don't know what could be much more important if anything could be more important to a, a an elected official who is pro-life than doing well d- never mind stopping the abortion industry because that's you know g- g- we're, we're trying to get there but that's good luck with that one given where the the culture is right now i know it's Still quite a battle, but it's that's going to be a, further down the line. Right now, we're just talking about trying to stop federal government dollars from going to it. And the members of the GOP and Congress are kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe later. Maybe we'll get to that one later. We've got a better idea for that later at some point. You want to tell me the wall is delayed? Okay. Maybe, you know, a, a few thousand more, 10,000 more. I don't know. How many more illegals or how many more cartel drug loads or you name it will get across the border in that period, um, but you know we can handle that. I suppose. I mean, we're going to handle it in one way or another. Um, but you tell me that funding for Planned Parenthood may drop precipitously, or or can be dropped precipitously, and might have an effect on their operations, and may slow down the process of massive and industrial butchery. Um, that that sh- that's a now thing. If in fact the members of Congress are really pro-life, and it's not just something they say to their constituents to get re-elected, okay, Uh, and then also that's on the Planned Parenthood issue. It is funded, and they say that with the Obamacare repeal, which we'll see if that happens, it will be defunded. We will know. Trust me, you will know. It'll be on every major media network out there if Planned Parenthood is defunded. That's not something that just kind of happens. Okay, and then on to the fencing and my back and forth with Congressman on that. I checked in the break. There's money for replacement fencing in this. And I, I might have even had a caller earlier on this one um, uh, money for replacement fencing that so that where uh, we have 700 miles of 2000 where there's already a, a bar- barrier fence, something there to stop people from crossing. They can upgrade and replace what is already fenced or barriered, bordered, including levee walls where there are currently uh, where there's currently rivers. So, OK there that's that's progress but it's not what we were promised i mean a slightly better fence where we already have a fence is nice but we were told the start it would be the start of a comprehensive dare i say a comprehensive immigration wall a comprehensive border wall not a piecemeal here and there uh replacement wall meaning that it's places where we already have the wall so that's there's the, there's the nuance in that. Mark in California on the iHeart app. Good to have you, sir. What's up?
1: Uh, good, to, good to have you. Uh, listen to you, Buck. Uh, Shields high? Shields high. Shields um, Just a couple things uh, as far as the uh, budget. Um, I voted for Trump. A lot of uh, uh, friendly casualties uh, during this election. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty let down about the whole thing. And uh, where does a bloke like me uh, go for uh, some optimism? Doesn't seem to be much out there. Um, and uh, it seems like, you know, good news is falling down like, uh, you know, diseased trees. Uh,
4: well, it's too, I think it's too early to, to feel. But look, you're, Mark, you're entitled to your opinions on this, obviously, as well as your feelings and, and your analysis and everything else. And I'm not trying to in any way... Uh, disregard that. I mean, I'm taking it all on board as you're telling it to me. Uh, I think it's early to feel that way because all of the things that Trump has promised he would do and that the Republicans in Congress even have promised that they would do can still be accomplished. But that window is not indefinite. And I, I am trying to prepare the groundwork on our side of things, conservatives across the country, trying to get them to set the standards that they expect from the administration of Congress now so that later we don't get swept up in the, oh, no, you don't want to be disloyal to the Republicans. The midterms are coming, you know, and, and, and oh, well, he's not Hillary. Yeah, not Hillary is, this is not supposed to be a respite. This is supposed to be make America great again, right? This is not a pause right. in the progressive agenda. This is a rollback and a shift away from the progressive agenda. And the so so the, right. the he's not Hillary thing is just a you know that's just a a a temporary relief right that that is not enough uh and i think the more time gets uh knocked off the clock here the greater the pressure should be from everyone who supported trump from all the different folks out there who have been trumpers all along trump voters all along um that they expect the promises to be followed through and and if that means that there is a shutdown fight in the fall and they take it to the mat. Let's say that the perceptions, even that they lose, well, at least they're fighting, right? At least they're trying. I, I, it does right. not sit well with me that the Republicans in Congress passed all these repeal and replace bills, and it was, it was a show. It was a show. It wasn't meant to be anything other than look at us. We hate Obamacare. It was, dare I say it, but mark, it's true. The Republican uh, politician equivalent. Of virtue signaling. They were putting on their social justice warrior hats, in a sense, from the right by, by looking, look at us, look at us, we hate Obamacare so much. Well, when it came to doing something about it for real, they fell flat on their faces, and they acted like they had never even thought about this before. So that's disappointing.
1: I to- totally agree with you there, Buck. I've got uh, family and friends who voted for Trump, and they kind of got the Trump blinders on. It's like, you, you know, you got to be able to see it for what it is. Uh, hope aside, uh, the other
4: thing, Buck. Uh, I was wondering if it's too early for Action Call Friday. Uh, I mean, I don't. Do we? I'm, I'm yeah, looking over at the judges' time. table. Do we take? Okay, well, well, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know what we're g- you know, Mark. Now I'm getting waved off. We got, we got a, It's, it's a, it's a special, right fr- it, it's a special Friday thing. So call back in on Friday. We'd love to take it then. Thank you for calling in, Mark. I appreciate it. I, I was, I was going to be lenient, lenient on this one, but the Freedom Hut team, there's, you know. This is uh, like the dude says in *The Big Lebowski*. This is not numb. There are rules. Freedom, uh, yeah, or Freestyle Friday and Action Movie Quote Friday. You, you can't just. It is. It's Tuesday. It's not even like a Thursday. Uh, I, I, I. There's only so much I can do. You know, with with the with with these two hands, there's only so much of the of the world I can uh, I can remake. And by that I mean none of it. So uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we'll have to wait on that one. Um, what else did I have that I wanted to hit? I definitely want to get into this. Uh, it's called a, among liberals, even they're calling it a, a witch hunt. Um, but we're going to talk in the next hour. I find this fascinating. We're going to talk about what would be called transracialism. Now we discuss on this show, transgenderism and i i still have out there requests for someone with an md to come on and tell me i, I think they realize though that i'm already i'm already to this whole line of argument and y- you know that they 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 hold out scientists and pretend that it's about science but then really what we need is a psychiatrist not a not a scientist or somebody who studies gender and, and from a biological perspective uh, we need a, a psychologist or or a psychiatrist because it's about Uh, what is going on emotionally and mentally with a person, not what their physicality, their chromosomal structure, that's not. But, well, then that raises some very interesting questions. Because if physical, if identity in the context of gender is not physically derived in some way, meaning that if your gender is not about physical characteristics or your physical makeup, why is race? what about race is this is a it is a provocative question that the left doesn't like to go near for a whole bunch of reasons very much and one woman in a philosophy journal which we will talk this is a i think a fascinating case study made the mistake of just just raising questions about this not even taking a favorable position uh, one way or the other on it just 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 asking some questions about well if transgenderism is psychologically determined and there but has policy implications and must be taken as settled on the science, why isn't transracialism meaning you can determine your race just based on what you think you are? We'll get into it. Stay with me. The Freedom Hut
3: rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. I'm not entertained?
4: The Buck is back. Team, I want to take you all on a journey now to a place where I'm guessing few of you have ever been. Hypatia, a journal of feminist philosophy. One of those academic journals that you have to pay pretty substantial sums of money for one article to even see there behind a paywall. Hypatia, the, uh, the Journal of Feminist Philosophy, named for, get ready for it everybody, Hypatia of Alexandria, who was a uh, Greek mathematician and then was in Egypt, in Alexandria, where she was the head of the Neoplatonic school. She taught philosophy and astronomy in the in 4th century AD. You're probably like, Alexandria, Egypt, 4th century AD. Oh yeah, that was right, it was, it was Christian. That was before the whole uh, Islamic invasion thing happened. That's right. Uh, Egypt had had Christians. In fact, Alexandria was a center of Christian learning and stories, history for, uh, and stories for another day, I suppose. Yeah, Hypatia was a a Greek mathematician and uh, known for her work in Alexandria. And she was killed uh, during a feud in the city of Alexandria between uh, Orestes, the prefect of Alexandria, and Cyril, the bishop of Alexandria. And so she's become kind of a... A uh, science and math figure of of uh, of note, particularly in circles that talk about uh, philosophers and female philosophers and all that sort of thing. So okay, so that's who Hypatia was. Those of you who wanted to know, a little fun cocktail party uh, trivia for you. It's like who was the uh, who was Hypatia? Everybody, you know what I'm saying? So there's this article on uh, in Hypatia a feminist 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 philosophy journal uh this article that was published now keep in mind this is an academic publication that that requires peer review before publishing so before you can get into this uh before you can have your stuff put up on this site you have to go through the process of having your fellow academics who also are writing stuff that nobody else is reading And no one really cares about, except for university professors who have to get published in these 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 bizarre uh, little paywalled academic sites and and journals um, so that they can keep their jobs and have tenure, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really no one really cares much about the stuff. It doesn't move the needle. But of course, it is necessary if you are going to have a job, particularly in the leftist corners of the humanities, so this woman, Rebecca Tuvel, who's an assistant professor of philosophy at Rhodes College in Memphis, uh, she wrote an article, and this is all written about a New York magazine. Uh, this is where I saw the piece first came up. She wrote an article titled, In Defense of Transracialism. Now, let me first tell you that this is always exciting for me. I thought of myself, I've always thought of myself as somebody who really enjoys words, learning words. I have a a tick, I have a need when I'm reading something, and this happens to me, and I'll tell you, this happens to me all the time. I'm reading something, and I'm like, I know that word, but I don't really know what it means. And I have to look it up. It's one of the reasons why I love having, uh, I've loved having now a smartphone for years. I just, I can't keep reading. If, if I don't know a word, I can't keep reading. It's just a thing. So I have to constantly look up the word, and um, I'm not saying I, like, sit around making flashcards of what the word is and with the meaning on the back of it because, you know, that's something that I did a long time ago. Don't do that anymore. Uh, but I have to know the word. So I, I enjoy words, but I enjoy even more learning words that only people in certain parts of progressive academia know or use and and come up with and it's it's of course it's a, almost like a secret language right this is what they do it reminds me of you know friends of mine when we were in like the third grade or something we'd say let's come up with a word that means this and it means that and this is something when you're you know bored after recess you'd tell your friends well when I say you know m- you know Mr. Smith is a is a such and such what I'm really saying is you know that you come up with your own little language your own words I don't know if any of you maybe all of you were cooler than I was in the third or fourth grade which is fine um, but I, I find words to be ver- interesting and I like to know what they are. So when I see a new progr- this is my way of saying, I love, you know, hearing about mansplaining and the patriarchy and subverting the dominant paradigm, paradigm and cisgender. And these are all things that you only know if you read the, uh, the various publications put out there, um, by, the far left, you will come across these things, and you will find yourself uh, in a situation um, where you know you are reading things. You're like, "Well, I thought I knew a lot of words, but I did not know this one." Uh, dead naming—I had never seen this before. You know, cisgender just means bi- and, and gender it means gender binary. It means and and you know, if you're cis het, it means you are cis cisgender and heterosexual. So you're like a man that wants to date or marry, uh, you know, or is sexually attracted to women. Then you're cishet. If you're a woman who's sexually attracted to men, you get it, right? Cishet's like a cool shorthand, I think. That, I, I Look, I, I could be wrong, too. I'm I'm learning this as I go, everybody. They're learning it as they go, too, because it they're making this stuff up. But anyway. Uh, deadnaming. I came across this, which I had never heard before. So deadnaming is when a transgender person... Changes their name and you refer to them by their previous name. And this is, of course, this is horrible. This is, in the leftist view, this is tantamount to violence because all speech that they don't like now in, in progressive circles. I mean, if you're like a big Bernie Sanders voting, Elizabeth Warren worshiping, you know, uh, longing for the days of Barack and think that Hillary really won the election kind of person, uh, y- you. Cannot imagine the injustice and and the the atrocity committed by calling somebody the wrong first name. It's about if they're transgender. So dead naming is like if 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 I became or let's just say oh here here's, here's the example from the piece calling Caitlyn Jenner Bruce Jenner. You've dead named Caitlyn Jenner, and it's a terrible thing to do. Now I will say that you're allowed to change your name. I'm often accused, by the way, of having a fake name. For those of you who are curious, my name is James Buckman Sexton. Buckman is a family name. It's my middle name. I've been called Buck since I was a little kid. It's not like I got out of the CIA and was like, I want to have a cool name that will appeal more to Americans, so call me Buck. I've been Buck since I was a little kid, and parents called me Buckaroo and all kinds of variations thereof. Um, you know, And so anyway, that's, that's my name. But you can change your name. So if I wanted to change my name to... You know, uh, Super Thunder Ninja. Um, that's what people should legally call me. If I if I change my name to that, that's what. And you know, if I want people to just call me whatever, they should. Right. So when Chelsea Manning, formerly Bradley Manning, says, "Call me Chelsea Manning," I've got no problem with that. When someone says Chelsea Manning, you have to call her, uh, or you have to you have to say Chelsea Manning is a she. That's where we start to get into issues because that's now a rejection of reality. But okay, dead naming is calling a trans person by their previous name obviously of the other gender or whatever they've they've turned. And I learned that I was like, oh, dead naming. That is quite a and isn't it such a loaded term to dead naming? It's like you're negating the person's basic humanity. Very, very clever. These progressives can be sometimes their arguments stink, but they can be clever. OK, so this woman back to the piece uh, in Hypatia. Um, she was in defense of transracialism. And you can imagine how this goes, right? And I, I read some of the piece. I didn't want to pay the like thirty dollars to own it, but I read some of the piece, uh, and, I, and I read through this description of the entire argument. But I know what the argument is, and what's fascinating to me is that the argument is an obvious one, and it's a strong one, which is that if a person can become a different gender, or if their gen- if their gender identity is different from their sex, or ho- however uh, the, the left wants to con- construct this. But if it's in my in my in my brain, I was going to say my heart, but we know that you don't have feelings in your heart. Right. But in my brain, although maybe I identify as somebody who has feelings in their heart, and not their brain. Right. Um, I see myself as a a female, even though I'm biologically male. I want society to recognize that I want the laws to be constructed around that. And I want to punish people that refuse to accept my psychological construct of who I am. That's the basis of transgender. While, while we can have smarmy scientists occasionally pop up and say, well, what about this very rare disorder where you have, you know, two sets of, of um, you know, uh, private private parts? Or, you know, what, what about this rare genetic situation? Whatever it may be. They'll say that to scare people into thinking, oh, well, the, science, the scientists are all a science. No. It's not about science. It's about feelings. It's about politics. Right. But how is that different? And, re- and really think about this with me. How is it different from someone saying that they are a different race? Well, here's here's what this New York Magazine piece because remember, race is a physical race is a physical reality, and by the way, a much less clear and defined physical reality than gender is. Right? When when I meet, you know, I was just on. Uh, I was just on vacation uh, with with my girlfriend, right? And people, she to some, uh, you could say presents as uh, Spanish because she is half Latina or Latino, um, but doesn't speak any Spanish. Her, her family does, uh, but has has a bunch of different. If you asked her her ethnicity, I mean, she it's really a, a mix of different different ethnic backgrounds, and she could claim one, and that's her her identity. And this is true of so many different people, right? And we have people say they are uh, biracial and, uh, they represent, so you already have it accepted that you can be more than one race and that race is a largely social construct anyway. And there are many different factors into race and it is race is not binary, right? It is not, you are this or you are that there's a whole lot of different stuff, right? I mean, I mean, I'm like mostly Irish and English, which to me is like is basically is the same thing. But of course you tell an Irishman and an Englishman that, and they're going to, you know, spit their whiskey out at you. Oh snap! Microaggression. See that was an ang- that was an Anglo-Irish microaggression. But I can do that because of my heritage. Uh, so back to the argument here in, in this journal. And oh, by the way, of course you can you can know where this is going, right? The title of the piece in New York Magazine is "This is What a Modern Day Witch Hunt Looks Like." This poor, before now unknown professor of f- feminist feminist philosophy. Gotta love that. Uh, at whatever school this is, Rhodes College. Never never heard of it, but. That's fine. Uh, made the mistake of honest intellectual pursuit in an area that has nothing to do with honest argument, which is the current debates and the politics surrounding transgenderism. And she talks about transracialism. Let me read you what the basic basics of the argument are. And I, I find this fascinating right? because this is this is where we finally get the left to just admit that they're screaming in our faces and they don't really have an answer or an argument. They just want to call you a bigot and they're upset. And they ultimately, and by the way, this is true of climate change as well, this is true of all your climate change friends out there and everyone you know who's, oh, I'm climate change, I'm so smart, I'm with the scientists, what they fear is not the end of the world, what they fear is not bad policy, what they fear is not um, right-wing, Bible-thumping Christians taking over the country and turning it into a theocracy who deny science and think the world is a 1,000 years old or 5,000 years old or whatever. That, that's, all, that's all really a smokescreen for the, the true fear. That the modern progressive leftist really has, which is that if they are so if they are so wrong on an issue that is so important to their sense of self, what does that mean about their intelligence, wisdom, judgment, virtue? If they're so wrong about climate change, meaning that they are certain and yet they shouldn't be, what else are they certain about that they shouldn't be? And this is the problem whenever you're trying to reason and argue with zealots. This is the problem whenever you push back on an argument that isn't at its at its roots about ideas and the exchange of them, but about what it says to hold these notions. What it's it's about personal. Virtue, it's about personal views Um, and the moment that you start to unsettle somebody on one of those it they feel like it's dominoes right that all could come down so they dig in on it anyway uh here tuvel's argument from this new york magazine piece is and that's what i mean about transgender i'm jumping now but transgenderism uh if they're if you can box them into how they're just self contradictory and they're saying nonsense on transgenderism what what else are they wrong about right this is I'm always, well, I'm like, tell me, explain to me why, explain to me why I'm wrong about healthcare and we can all have great free healthcare that somebody else pays for and this is an economic problem. I I would love to live in that America. I'm just pretty sure it doesn't exist, but but I would love to be wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why we can have a country that has great healthcare that nobody has to pay for really or that only the rich people will pay for and it's going to be great and I'm going to have whatever I need. Make that case to me in a compelling way because I would rather live in that country. I just don't live in that country because that's not reality, but I'll, I'll listen. Um, and I, it would be great to live in a place where someone can just determine their identity. And it has no effect on policy and we all just go along because we're nice people and we care about them. And, and this doesn't affect the... Uh, relations between the genders and it doesn't affect the family and it doesn't it would be great but that's not also reality and it's not based in science but i'm getting i'm not getting ahead of myself i'm getting caught uh, caught around the wheel on this one I, I gotta come back to it um yeah let's talk more about hypatia and the and the uh feminist journal of philosophy we got going here this is, uh, this is what a modern day witch hunt looks like that's the piece I'm going to tell you what happens in this witch hunt. You can imagine it's not going to go well for the folks involved. Be right back. You see, my friends, on the left, transracialism is heresy. Because progressivism is not so much about uh, public policies and uh, the benefits and drawbacks of any one idea as it is a set of beliefs that are core to the individual who holds them and it's really about the person who holds them not about the result of the policies and so for progressives uh making arguments that make them feel like they don't know what they're talking about or they've made a mistake this is completely unacceptable um it's not they, they don't want to be convinced of something else because that means you're convincing them about themselves and what they believe and they don't like that so back to this uh so it's a heresy right transracialism that you can determine what your race is as a result of uh, psychology that is heresy because of think of it. well i'll get into the implications of it in a second. But here's in this New York magazine piece, they talk about this woman who has had the entirety of the of the feminist philosophy world, you know, all like 10 professors probably across the country. I'm just kidding. It's actually hundreds of them um, pile on and a, a journal of philosophy here, Hypatia, uh, retracted a peer reviewed and published piece because it was offensive. Think about that for it is a philosophical. It is supposed to be about tackling the big arguments and ideas. Other philosophers, so to speak, read it and approved of it enough to publish it. And in this obscure leftist philosophical publication, uh, there was such an outcry because she broke ranks. Because, again, she's not guilty of sloppy thinking. She's not guilty of. um. Some errors in her profession, she's guilty of heresy. She turned against an ordered belief system, which is progressivism, and they will not tolerate apostasy. Right. Apostasy in Islam can get you killed. Apostasy in progressivism will have you chased out of your profession and career. And everyone will will talk about what a a horrible human being you are and your reputation is ruined. Um, So. Her argument that she made the piece was as follows. Quote, we accept the following premises about trans people and the rights and dignity to which they are entitled. We also accept the following premises about identities and identity change in general. Therefore, the common arguments against transracialism fail and we should accept that there's apparently little logically logically coherent reason to deny the possibility of genuine transracialism i.e. what she's saying and this is a very simple version i'll make a much simpler version of what the argument is that she makes although she does it over 15 pages in this philosophy journal that nobody reads except for me apparently or at least part of it uh if transgenderism is based on feeling an individual's feel, which it is and i'm still waiting i i'm waiting for someone to come on here and tell me no no it's about physical characteristics because then we'd have a really interesting discussion but if it is about feeling and if the rejection of policies enacted to accommodate that feeling as determinative of reality, not gender, not male, female, not XXXY chromosome, none of that counts. Feelings matter. Feelings first. If that is true for uh, raci- for a gender category, which as we know now, there are like 27, um, if that is true for gender categories... Why is it not true for racial categories? There is a deafening silence in response to that. I should note, uh, because I've read the argument, I've seen the arguments. They're not powerful at all. They talk about, oh well, race as a con, race is a construct that has implications on day to day. They just run in circles because no, wait, I don't, I don't understand. Race is a, a much more um, uh, definable character, or, or less definable characteristic, rather than gender is race we we are all mixes of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds and so oh wait no we got to keep going on this one because this is i find it fascinating i'll be right back he spreads freedom
3: because freedom's not gonna spread itself buck sexton is back
4: the team here shared an article with me in the break that i hadn't seen it's amazing you have a A black female journalist did an interview. Let me see what the date is on this. Um, Oh, just did it. Back uh, like a couple of weeks ago. April 19th, 2017 is the date on this piece on The Stranger, which I'm not familiar with. The piece is by uh, Ijuoma Oluo. And she sits across from Rachel Dolezal, and is obviously is, is quite contemptuous of of Dolezal, from what I've read here. And I was just reading the piece in the break. One thing that, that's uh, struck me though is that Dolezal changed. I didn't know this, by the way. And Dolezal, by the way, is the is the first case of uh, nationally pronounced or nationally discussed transracialism, right? Rachel Dolezal is the white woman. Who identifies as black and had become the head of an NAACP chapter in in Washington. So Doliz, Rachel Dolas, I'll change her name to Inkechi Amare Diallo. She changed her name. Now, as I said, you can change your name, and that's your right. I mean, of course, it's also someone's right to, I guess, call you whatever they want to. But if we're going to be if we're going to be fair about this, you know, if I decided tomorrow that my name uh, was going to be you know um, bridget i you know people should and i changed my name that's on my drivers license people should call me that. that that that's my choice um and that is a choice right name is just a choice identity or a gender is a biological reality or at least it was until now uh, so this woman writing this article about Dolazol won't won't call her the name cuz she finds it so offensive i think that's fascinating so when it comes to transracialism not only is it a question of whether you can adopt another race through your own psychological manifestation of what your race should be. But you're not allowed to take a name that has certain r- racial implications or connotations or connections, or whatever, right? Take a name that would uh, help someone quote, identify as black or help someone quote, identify as some other uh, race, whatever it may be. Um, so trans, this piece, this transracialism piece of set the back to the, uh, what I was talking you about in Hypatia, the journal of feminist philosophy uh, there was a huge outcry and they retracted the piece and they said there's you know they this journal had to say they're sorry and uh, and what's what's fascinating is to read for for two reasons it's fascinating to me to read the some of the fellow academics out there who these people by the way r- really couldn't have a normal job with normal responses. they they have to have a job only in the realm of Doing writing and research that has no meaning or importance uh, to bettering humankind, but it, it's just all one big—I I don't know what—I I can't say what it is on air without you know probably getting into trouble for bad words. But it's a lot of nonsense. I could say that, um, and some of the so on the one hand, it's it's interesting to read the academic criticisms of transracialism because they don't deal with the argument at all because they don't really have a very good argument they, they don't know they haven't been given like the way that the uh the communist international had to hear from the central committee and and stalin what their beliefs were supposed to be and, and before they got those orders they didn't know what should we think about the spanish civil war you know what should we think about uh trotskyite offshoots in various parts of europe that are communist but not under the you know they, they didn't know what to think because they hadn't been told what to think and for a a true ideologue a true progressive ideologue you, you got to know what the marching orders are or else what do you do so they're not really sure what the arguments are against transracialism yet they don't have the official line they know that they, but it can't be okay because think about where this leads us right if you can identify as another race Oh, now we go into an interesting area. Race is uh, tremendously advantageous in some circumstances in this country, as we know. If you apply to college, that's the most obvious example, but also it's true for a lot of jobs. And it's uh, we should all be very on edge about this, because whenever there is something that is clearly happening, but we are not allowed to really talk about, that's a problem. And when you have racial preferences as a matter of government policy, as a matter of hiring policy, as a matter of... Educational admission policy, but bring them up. People start to give you, like, look at you out of the side of their eye, like, hey, what's wrong with you? What are are you trying to say? You know, some kind of a problem there. Um we have a fantastic example of racial preferences in hiring with and in this case it's pseudo-racial preferences. Elizabeth Warren. Here's part of the problem. Under progressive ideology, I don't I don't think Elizabeth Warren's got an issue with her claiming to be a Native American so that she can be the only Professor of law at Harvard Law School with a previous degree and no additional experience from uh, Rutgers in New Jersey. No offense to Rutgers, but it tends not to be uh, a a feeder for Harvard Law School. In fact, I'm almost positive that she's the only professor, uh, certainly the only white female professor that I'm aware of, who has gone on to Harvard Law School from Rutgers. But I could be wrong. But think about that. If you can identify as a different race... Uh, Where does that stop and start? Are are you allowed to then apply to college and identify as uh, name it? I don't know, uh, Native American, Hispanic American, African American, anything, whatever you whatever it is that you want to claim. And if you can't do that, well, then why? And if you can do that, but there has to be some level of authenticity to it. Well, how do they judge that? Because just like with transgenderism, it's supposed to be about the sincerity of the individual. Can you really tell how sincere someone is if they claim they're of another race? Now, what really happens here is progressives just find this whole thing so offensive because they have um, so elevated racial identity as an important tool of political power, an important tool for the Democrat Party. Racial identity and racial injustice, whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter or Uh, you know hiring decisions at the federal level or any any number of things has major policy implications and the democrat party is largely built on the promise that uh, they will make right what is wrong when it comes to race in this country by giving special privileges and advantages to certain predetermined minority groups and elevate them as a matter of law and then pretend that anybody who brings this up or asks questions about it is a racist that's That is the Democrat Party M.O. That is what progressives do. So if race is just a psychological construct, then we're forced to answer the question, Okay, why can't somebody are we going to is it is it about skin color? I remember I had a friend. I'll tell you a little aside here. I had a friend who, for purposes of college admission, claimed to be African-American. And she was born in Egypt. Now, for you geography uh, uh, geography buffs out there, um, e- e- Egypt is, in fact, part of the African continent. And her claim was that, well, I am American by citizenship and I have an American parent, a, a Caucasian American parent. But I have an Egyptian uh, mother and was born there and therefore she was born in Africa. So I am African-American. And this was this did not go over well. And so what we find, what we, what she found out, rather, is that the designation of African-American is a question of skin color. Right. That she that she was because she was and she was by the way, she's uh, I think you would see her. And now now you start to get into well, what do you even know about her? you look at somebody and I have uh, any number of friends who I would bet money 90 percent of people couldn't guess what their ethnic background was and and they could pass for any number of different ethnic backgrounds right? as i said uh, race is a much more um a, a much more complicated characteristic and involves much more narration and story than say gender but yet gender we're supposed to believe can be changed right right away R- race is um is not something that can be changed but her claim of being african-american was uh, was shot down and it it just turned on. Well, she was she wasn't black. And she said, well, if the if the designation for the purposes of college applications is is in fact just skin color, shouldn't that be what's on the form and not African-American? And uh, you know, she applied, to, I think, it was Harvard with this and it not did not go over well. And there have been others who have gone through this whole process of just presenting themselves. In fact, uh, Mindy Kaling, I believe, the comedian uh, from The Office, and her brother—I had a brother on radio, so I, I know this story well. He applied to law school and didn't—I don't think even think he officially said that he was uh, African American or uh, black, or but just changed his appearance, sent in a photo, changed his name, and tried to massage his application in some ways that it would per, it would make it perceive people would perceive him as being black instead of being South Asian, Indian. Um, and he got into all these schools he didn't get into before. So, so we know that that's real. And, we, and while we're always told about the oppression side of the narrative, we're not often told about the benefit side of the narrative as well. There are some very important benefits to being of certain uh, racial background at different times in the, well, in the process of going to school, in the process of getting a job, and that we would upend that. By allowing for transracialism is just too much for progressives to bear. But they don't have an argument other than that's racist, that's mean, that's wrong, that's bad. It's not based in science. It's not based in psychiatry. The argument is just no, because we say so. And we're going to yell at you and shout at you if you try anything else. Um, I, I, here, here are some, and this is, uh, this is a little bit of an aside, but I just... Keep in mind that this is where this ideology is why you see these people running around um, burning things down at Berkeley and the progressives have absolutely seized higher education and really lower education. I mean, they're in charge of the school system in this country um, to the extent that I don't even know if I could go back to a graduate program. I would just I would just be yelling at people all the time because, well, they'd be yelling at me, really. I wouldn't be yelling at them because I'm polite and I'm not a. Not a barbarian, but they'd be yelling at me about my beliefs and ideology, so I just don't want to put up with that. I thought about going to—I got into a bunch of business schools, didn't, didn't go. Um, thought about getting a master's, too, in uh, security and in, uh, international affairs, but I was like, eh, I can read books on my own, thanks. I don't think I really need an international affairs MA, master's degree. But here's the way the academics—back to the transracialism piece in Hypatia, the Feminist Journal of Opinion— here are some of the arguments they come up with against her writing, and I, I walked you through more or less what the argument is, and she didn't even make it in a sense that she was supporting it. She just walked through the reasoning behind transgender and, and, and why transracialism should also—that reasoning should also apply, and people freaked out at her for all the reasons I told you. And, but it's about politics. It's not about—it's not about reasoning or anything else. Um, here are some of the criticisms. It isn't that dissent and disagreement aren't welcome or even inevitable, but Tuvel, the author— butchered dialectical treatment of race and gender by the way anyone who starts throwing in the term dialectical is just a pretentious jerk who's trying to sound smart this is a an ironclad rule don't try, unless someone's actually talking about uh the uh, hegelian dialectic in a poli like you know 101 class be be very concerned about who this person is i'm just giving you a little bit of uh little bit of, of useful and, and fun advice on that one you're like Buck. i'm not sure how useful this is i think it's useful help you make fun of people um so uh, i'm trying to where were the i i just i'm sorry oh yeah here we go this isn't about stifling by the way they all signed this thing she should be you know fired she's terrible pull this piece how could you make an argument transracialism it's terrible so the responses from fellow academics uh, this isn't stifling dialogue. It's responding to a dangerous and irresponsible piece of scholarly work that misdefines identity. Oh, oh! I didn't realize identity was so easily definable in an era when there are 27 different gender characteristics, according to progressives. Okay. Um, wait, there's some other great ones here. Uh, Tuvel bludgeoned transmateriality and then has the audacity to whine about whether academic freedom... Uh, is hurt when her epistemic uh, epistemic violence gets pushback. Bludgeoned transmateriality and then had the audacity to whine about academic freedom when her epistemic violence gets pushback. Epistemic violence? That's not even really a thing. What is epistemic violence? These people are delusional, by the way. They're paid all day to read and know things, and they are know-nothings. They are ignoramuses. They are shockingly detached from the reality of real and useful knowledge. Um but yeah transracialism is fascinating. Just the next time you get into a really heated argument with somebody about like men's women's bathrooms and what should happen there just be like hey I'm just wondering hey hey Bob eh, where do you stand on uh, transracialism just out of curiosity. See what they say. See how have them walk you through the why you can't choose your race but you can choose your gender. I know they say you don't choose it bucket so okay well why it's not a psychological condition instead of a physical reality. Race, as I said, is a much more complicated one. Um, All right. I know I've spent a lot of time on this, but I found it fascinating. I hope you did, too. Oh, do me a favor, by the way. Please do download the podcast. We've been having some great uh, numbers from Team Buck uh, downloading the show. Uh, You can go on iTunes and just click subscribe. Type in Buck Sexton with America now, those of you who are on iTunes. Uh, You can also listen, of course, on the iHeart app anytime you want on demand and BucksExon.com, we we have all the stuff right there so if you really just want it easy just go to BucksExon.com. you can see click on the different ways to listen and um, and pass the buck uh, please do tell a friend about the show if everybody listening right now got one person who was their friend to just download this show just subscribe for free on iTunes it would be uh, the start of the Freedom Hunt Revolution my friends we'll be right back Well, team, I, I, uh, I hope you found that uh, whole deep dive into transracialism. Uh, I hope I hope you found that at least in, informing, if not entertaining, um, or informational, if not entertaining. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a thing that happens. You know, I, I remember um, being told this. This was a, an experience I had right before I got into media. So, I'd le- I'd left the CIA and I was getting ready for the next chapter and uh, of you know the life of Buck. And I went to a, um, I went to a financial aid meeting for, cause I was gonna have to take out loans for, uh, for grad school for, to get it, to get an MBA, um, master's in business administration. That was what I was thinking I would do quite honestly, cause I, I wanted some freedom. I wanted to make some money and I wanted to have a little fun. The CIA was interesting, but, um, it is certainly, uh, well, you're never gonna get, a, not, not even get rich, but you know, you're. Working as a government employee, so it's there are some limitations on that, and, and there are a whole bunch of other. Another day, I'll tell you why I left the CIA in more detail. Um, I didn't leave uh, unhappy with the place. I just left because it wasn't where I wanted to make my whole career. Anyway, so I remember sitting there and and uh, and realizing that there weren't that many people that were in the in the room with me, and we I looked at we looked at each other, and I was like, "This is interesting." Um, the Students that were around me seemed to primarily be uh, what, what I would guess were, you know, middle class kids and we're about to take on a whole bunch of, of loans, an enormous amount of loans. And I remember speaking to one of the admissions officers and I was like, so what happens with the uh, what what happens with all this money? You guys always talk about uh, you know about how it doesn't matter what you, you know, it doesn't matter how much need you have. We're just looking for the most excellent candidates and we'll find a way to help you because, you know, a business degree. NBA, one of these, one of these fancy schools, um, is going to cost. Uh, it's about sixty. Well, no, it's more like seventy-five thousand dollars a year when all said and done. So I mean, you're going like two hundred grand into debt by the time you paid it back. Um, and I remember the guy admissions officer telling me, "Well, you know, you're, you look, man. I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're not the right demographic for us to give you money." And I was like, "Huh." Well, what, is, what does that mean? I don't have any money. You guys know my foot I have work for the government. I mean, uh, well, you know, you're not. We don't give you money. Oh, I mean, when I mean give you money, I mean knock off some of the enormous tuition price. I was like, oh, OK. I was like, when is this? like? I would like this some of this white privilege thing I always hear about. Um, that doesn't seem to be helping right now. Uh, it seems to be kind of the reverse. And it was because um, I was told I was not the right demographic for financial aid for a school that i needed financial. i had like i had like a thousand dollars to my name i was not about to pay 75 grand a year anyway so i just wanted to share that little aside with you all please do uh, tell a friend about the show um it was the the biggest favor you could do for me it's the biggest compliment you could pay the freedom hut just tell somebody go on itunes type in a buck Sexton in america now or just send it to them via email excited to be with you the rest of this week my friends until then shields high